Yeah, I don't know how you follow that announcement. That was brilliant. I think the blokes need some kind of fit for life thing. Otherwise, all the women are going to get really fit and healthy. And all the blokes are going to be lagging behind. But there you go. I will leave that to somebody else to sort out. Um, It's fantastic to be with you all again. I've had the blessing of coming to uh, Regents three or four times now. um, And it's always a real honour. And as Keith said, Andy has probably finished preaching at Hope Church now because our service is a little bit earlier than yours. So hopefully he hasn't caused too much damage. I'm sure he hasn't. I'm sure it's been fine. Um, I think I've got a slide with a picture of the family. You've got to do this when you're visiting somewhere as a preacher, haven't you? Um, Yeah, so there's me and my wife Sarah, and there's our three boys, Noah's the eldest and in the grey jacket there, and then Seth in the red, and Jude, the youngest, um, one wife, three children, that's the right way round, you don't want it to be the other way round, that's not our values at all. Um, I think we have a picture, yeah, so this is... For the last four or five years, I've been part of a discipleship group that Andy's been part of. That's how I got to know Andy and the church here, really. That um, Ian Galloway, the pastor at City Church, Newcastle, runs. So hopefully you can make out a few people on there. But that's been a real uh, blessing to me and, and great to get to know Andy and, through Andy, some of the other guys here at Regents as well. Um, but yeah, Andy asked me to come and preach as part of this series, you've, you've been in for, I guess, just a few weeks now, uh, in the book of 1 Timothy, um, which, if you don't know, is a book we have in the Bible that was originally written as a letter from the Apostle Paul to his friend, to his son in the faith, really, Timothy. And Timothy was a relatively young guy who was trying to help a church in a place called Ephesus, which had all sorts of problems. And Timothy had been left there to kind of sort it out, really, to try and help the church come into a bit of a healthier, stronger place. And basically, the letter of 1 Timothy is Paul writing to him to try and encourage him, equip him, advise him, challenge him, sharpen him as he tries to to complete this task of helping this church in Ephesus. And I've called the message today, uh, Fight the Battle Well fighting the battle well, surviving and thriving as you follow Jesus. And we're going to look at the last few verses of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, but the words will come up here on the screen as well. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. This is what Paul writes. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hermenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. When Andy gave me this passage, I thought it was a little bit harsh, really. Who wants to talk on handing over to Satan? So I gave him a really difficult passage to pre- <laughs> preach on at our church as well. So we'll see who wins now. Um, but, but kind of boiling it all down, Paul is, is writing to Timothy to encourage him to fight the battle well. And by his Holy Spirit, who we believe has inspired the words of Scripture, God wants to say to us today as well, 
fight the battle well and encourage us in that task. Because I don't know if you know this, I'm sure you do, but following Jesus is hard. Being a Christian is hard, and the Bible frequently uses this language of being in a battle to describe the Christian life, to describe following Jesus. You know, it was hard for Timothy. He'd been left in Ephesus, a fairly young guy, very isolated. You know, this is before phone calls, this is before emails, this is before Skype. I know for me, uh, seven years ago now, when I went to start leading this church in Bedlington, relatively young guy, you know, the fact I could get on the phone to people I respected, the fact I could say, this is a complete mess, can you help me, was really, really wonderful. You know, the best Timothy had is maybe every couple of years, Paul might send him a letter. Very isolated, very challenging. And as you read uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, um, the letter to the church in Ephesus we have in the, the book of Revelation, the church was in a right state. And he's there plugging away, trying to sort it out. It was a battle. And it's hard for us. You know, Jesus never promises us an easy life. You know, when we become followers of Jesus, praise God, we step into his place of amazing blessing, forgiveness, eternal life, being part of God's family, hope. But we also step into a place of battle. And 1 Peter 4 verse 12 says, Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. Not, you might have trouble. Not if you're unlucky and born in the wrong country or born in the wrong circumstance, you might have trouble. You will have trouble. This is the normal Christian life. So if you're here today and you're experiencing trial, Pain, trouble, persecution, opposition, sadness, rejection, sickness, friends hurting you, challenges in the church, whatever it might be, do not be surprised. It's not all going wrong. It's not all falling apart. God hasn't abandoned you. That's how it is. And I know sometimes I need reminding of that. And in a strange way, it's encouraging to hear and read that because... I'm weak, and because when things go wrong, I I think it's, it's all falling apart. I think it can't all be true. But don't be surprised. It's not all going wrong. You see, the thing is, we live in what could be described as, as the now and not yet of God's kingdom. We live in the now and not yet of God's kingdom. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, kind of that once and for all victory over sin, over death, over Satan, has been won. So the kingdom of God is now, and we get to begin to experience some of the blessing of that, don't we? But it's also not yet, because the final consummation of that victory when Jesus returns has not yet happened. So we're kind of stuck in the middle, in this place of blessing, but also battle. You know, it's the the wheat and the weeds growing up together in that parable Jesus told. It's God preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies, as Psalm 23 says. 
it's blessing and battle. And God wants us to be equipped to fight the battle well. And Paul writes to Timothy and he reminds him about people in Ephesus who had not fought the battle well, who really had given up on and turned away from Jesus. And Paul gives Timothy two specific examples, two names, people who from the sounds of it, Paul had had to deal with himself when he had been in Ephesus in the early days of the church, Hymenius and Alexander. And Paul uses this really powerful picture to describe what has happened to people like them who haven't fought the battle well. He says that they've suffered shipwreck, that they've shipwrecked their faith. We don't have the whole picture of what happened to Hermenius and Alexander. They actually pop up again in 2 Timothy, another letter Paul writes to Timothy sometime later, and they're still causing problems. And we can begin to piece together something of what was going on, but not the whole picture. It seems likely that their error, the, the way they had failed to fight the battle well, the way they had been shipwrecked in their faith had two components to it. It had a theological component. They started to embrace and believe and teach and push teachings about Jesus that were destructive and that were false. And it also had a moral component to it. They fell into some kind of sin or immorality. And not just sin, because you know we all sin, but a kind of unrepentant, uh, not turning back, pursuit of sin and ungodliness. They refused to repent. And most likely what they were caught up in is something that is called Gnosticism, which was a major issue in the early church. And it's really hard to pin down exactly what this this heresy, Gnosticism, consisted of. But it was this kind of super-spiritual approach to life and faith that actually said that the physical and material world was completely evil and corrupt. And that true spiritual life was found in ever more mystical and over-the-top and strange and wonderful experiences of God. Now, don't get me wrong, I believe in spiritual and wonderful experiences of God. But this kind of faith that says almost begins to create hierarchies. You know, I've had this spiritual experience and you haven't. Therefore, I am superior to you. That's the Gnostic heresy. That's where they were going wrong. Because if you hadn't had the latest spiritual experience, you weren't spiritual enough. The once and for all finished work of Jesus on the cross, which saves us all and puts us all on an equal footing before God, is no longer enough. There's levels, there's, there's, there's higher places you can go to. It led to a denial of the physical resurrection of Jesus because that physical stuff isn't important anyway. It's all about the spiritual. It led to immorality and sin of the most extreme kind because it doesn't matter what you do with your body, the physical, just, just indulge that because what it's really all about is this exalted spiritual experience. And Paul says... These guys have not fought the battle well. They have become shipwrecked in terms of their theology, and they have become shipwrecked in terms of their morality. 
And ultimately what Paul had to do with them is put them out of the church. And he uses this interesting, confusing, difficult phrase in verse 20. He talks about Hymenius and Alexander and he says, I've handed them over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Now, perhaps we can't be 100% certain exactly what this phrase, handed over to Satan, means. It's also used by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, again describing a situation where uh, sin and immorality and heresy in the church had to be dealt with and someone had to be put out of the church. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 5, it's talking specifically about unrepentant sexual immorality. It's a phrase that makes us feel really uncomfortable, doesn't it? Handing someone over to Satan doesn't sound like the sort of thing a Christian should be doing. It doesn't sound like the sort of thing a church should be involved with, does it? But notice something. The reason it's happening is so that these people can be taught not to blaspheme. In other words, so that they will learn to live and speak in a way that honours rather than dishonours Jesus. So whatever this difficult phrase means, it has a redemptive purpose. It's not just hand them over to Satan so they're damned. It's hand them over to Satan in the hope that there might be repentance. Similarly, in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 5, it says, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. There's, there's something redemptive in whatever this handing over to Satan is. You know, there's a mystery here, but the truth is that even Satan falls under the control and sovereignty of God. And God can even use the evil deeds of Satan as he wants to destroy and tear people away from God, God can even use that. Now, I'm not claiming that God and Satan kind of work as a team, but somehow, in the absolute majesty and sovereignty and awesomeness of God, he can even use the work of Satan to bring about good. You know, think about Job in the Bible. God allowed Satan to wreak havoc in Job's life. Why? ultimately for Job's blessing and God's glory. Think about Paul and his thorn in the flesh. He writes in 2 Corinthians that it was from Satan, but God used it to show Paul that his grace was sufficient for him and that his power was made perfect in Paul's weakness. So, I don't have all the answers, but handing someone over to Satan in this context isn't doing something evil It's saying to someone, because of your unrepentance, because of your sin, because of your false teaching, which you are not turning back from, you're no longer welcome here, but we pray that God will do whatever God needs to do, even if that involves suffering and trial and pain and the things of Satan in your life to bring you to repentance and faith in Jesus again. Sometimes it is the most loving thing to do because the purity of the church matters and protecting other believers from people who are caught up in these things matters. But you know what? I don't want to do too much of this morning is speculate too much about Hymenius and Alexander because there are things which we maybe just don't know. But more to reflect on our own lives. 
God wants us to recognize that we are in a battle and that shipwreck is possible for us as well. You know, nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to fall into massive immorality. Nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to shipwreck shipwrecked my faith. I'm sure Hymenius and Alexander didn't do that. In fact, the inference is that they, they were saved people, whatever our theology is of whether that's possible, but they had made a profession of faith in Jesus. There was something real there, but they drifted, they fell, they were shipwrecked, they didn't fight the battle well, and the same thing can happen for us, and Scripture is full of these warnings to be sober-minded, to keep watch, to be alert, the second we think that can never be possible for us, we're maybe drifting into the shallow waters where shipwreck is possible. And I just want to share with you briefly, with the time I've got left, three thoughts from these verses for how we can fight the battle well, how you can fight the battle well. And the first one is this, remember your story. Remember your story. Paul says, Timothy, my son... I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Fight the battle well. Keep going, Timothy. Keep serving this church in Ephesus. Remember your story. Remember the prophecies once made about you. Perhaps earlier in his walk with Jesus, perhaps at the point he was kind of commissioned into ministry, people had prayed for Timothy, And they'd spoken some powerful and significant things about his calling and about who he was in God over his life. And Paul says, remember them. Remember why you're here. Remember the calling of God upon your life. Because as you do that, it will give you confidence and courage to fight the battle well in the midst of trial. Remember your story. We've all got a testimony, haven't we, of the way God reached into our lives and saved us. We've all got a testimony of those moments when we felt God speaking to us in a deep, life-changing way. Whether it was a kind of prophetic word or a, a message we heard and responded to or something through a friend or whatever it might be. Many of us will have words or passages of Scripture that we feel a part of kind of who God has called us to be. Many of us will have experienced a sense of calling to a particular area or church or, or, or job or, or relationship or ministry. Many of us will have had moments when we've experienced the miraculous provision of God or moving of God in our lives in one way or another. Remember, remember that stuff. Remember your story. I remember a few examples from my own life when uh, I felt called to leave my job and I worked for the church I was part of at the time for free for a year and it was a big step of faith for me and Sarah and it felt really scary. You know, in the grand scheme of things compared to what some people do, it wasn't that big a step but it it felt big to us. And I remember on two or three three occasions vividly praying on, on the metro on the way home because I knew that we didn't have enough money. We weren't going to be able to pay the bills and two or three times I came home and I found the envelope on the doorstep with 200, 300 pounds in it. Now don't get me wrong, there have been other times when that's not happened. 
It's not that God is a slot machine and you say the prayer and you get the money out. But when I remember that, I remember, yeah, you're the God who provides. You're the God who I can trust. You're the God who I'm ultimately leaning on for security. And it gives me courage to fight the battle well today. I remember when I heard a message preached from Isaiah chapter 6 about the awesomeness and holiness of God and just being overwhelmed by a sense of how transcendent and other and incredible God was. And I knew at that moment I had to give my life to serving him and following him no matter what the cost. And some of you will know the passage God says to Isaiah, or he sort of says to everyone, who will go and who can we send? And Isaiah, and I always think it's this little quiet voice, says, here am I, send me. And I feel like that's been the call on my life. And when I remember that, when I remember that, when it's tough, I can say, oh yeah, God's worth it. God's awesome, God's glorious, God's holy. What else can I do before him but say, here am I, send me. I remember the stuff that isn't specific to me, but that all of us who've given our lives to Jesus can say that he died for me and that I am a new creation and that I am forgiven and that I am now a son of the living God, that nothing can separate me from the love of God and that even though this life is a battle sometimes, I will spend eternity with God in a place where all of that battle stuff will be no more. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain or suffering or sickness or death. And that gives me courage today to fight the battle well. And for you, I don't know what it is, but those moments in God, those, those acts of provision, those moments when he really spoke to you, those prophetic words, those passages of scripture, remember your story. We have kind of spiritual amnesia about these things sometimes, don't we? Oh yeah, God is with me. God has called me. I think that's why in the Old Testament we don't really go in for it so much anymore, but God gave them festivals and God told them to set up the little altar of rocks in a certain place so they'd remember their story. They'd remember his provision. Remember your story. Second thing, hold on to the faith. Paul encourages Timothy to fight the battle well by holding on to his faith, something Hymenius and Alexander had not done. And I think this is about holding on to and cherishing and prioritizing a proper understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. It's kind of about having a good theology, understanding who God is, who Jesus is, and why it matters. You know, this is why Timothy stayed in Ephesus in the first place, because what they believed about Jesus, their understanding of who he was, was, was kind of all over the place. It needed sorting out. And this is what the heart of the problem was with these people Paul's mentioning who have shipwrecked their faith. You know, I think of a good theology as being like the foundation of a house. Everything else stands or falls on that foundation. If the foundation isn't right, the whole house is going to be faulty. It's going to have cracks in it. It's going to let the rain in. It might even fall down. And Similarly, you know, not everyone gets super excited about theology, right? Not everyone gets super excited about the foundation of a house. You know, to be honest, it's there, we're glad it's there, but, you know, fine. But we all know it's important. 
It's not the glamorous bit. It's perhaps not the bit we see every day. But if it's not in place and it's not right, nothing else is going to stand. And Hymenius and Alexander started down this Gnostic road, denying the physical resurrection, overemphasizing weird spiritual experience, probably, a, probably promoting a vision of Jesus where he wasn't fully God and fully man. And he led to shipwreck. So we're not talking here about kind of secondary issues. You know, there's a lot of stuff that secondary, different churches, different people within a church can legitimately hold all sorts of different positions and all sorts of different things. I don't even agree with everything I say, let alone with what other people say. But we're talking here about the fundamentals. Jesus as fully God and fully man. The physical resurrection of Jesus. The Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. This stuff matters. This stuff is foundational. And if it's not in place and not held onto and not cherished, the house will fall down. It might not be the stuff that really excites you or gets you going, but the house will fall down. Look at any individual or group that starts to deny this stuff. It always goes wrong. It always ends up in immorality or at the other end, extreme legalism or sort of cult-like activity because everything rests on the foundation. Not all of us are theologians. Not all of us have the gifting. Not all of us have the time. I'm sure there are plenty of people here who think, I don't have a problem with sound theology. Um, You know, I don't disagree with it. It's just, it's not an issue. But we're called to hold on to the faith. What might that look like? A few suggestions that all of us theologically wired or not, can do. Read, read the Bible. Read the Word of God. That's a good place to start. This is the place we discover true theology. This is the primary place where the truths of our faith are set out in a living and life-changing way. Do a reading plan. Get the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. Talk to one of the elders or leaders here about, you know, I find reading the Bible pretty hard. Could you give us some tips as to where to start? Be in the Word of God. Secondly, engage with church wholeheartedly. You know, thank God that you guys are part of a church that values and cherishes sound theology. For people like Andy and the others here who are passionate about teaching the Word of God, who are passionate about worship that glorifies God and that communicates truth. You know, and whilst we can't sort of delegate responsibility to our church for our own holding on to the faith, you know, we're wired to be in community with other people. And the second we start isolating ourselves, which it's possible to do emotionally and spiritually, even if we're not doing it physically, even if we're still in the room, but the second we start isolating ourselves, we're in danger of shipwreck. And one way to hold on to the faith is just to be all in and part of this learning, worshipping, fellowshipping community that is the church. And thirdly, maybe most importantly, pursue Jesus. You know, true theology is not some dry and dusty thing. It's about Jesus. It's about a relationship with Jesus. It's about growing in knowledge and love and passion for Jesus. And it's so easy in this life to lose sight of Jesus. You know, some years after Paul 
wrote to Timothy in Ephesus, Jesus had another message for the church there, which we find in Revelation chapter 2. And this is what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You know, it's possible to be working hard, to be persevering, to be holding the line, to be enduring, to be doing the Bible thing, to be doing the church thing, but to lose our love for Jesus in the midst of family and work and maybe even the busyness of church life. We can lose Jesus. In the midst of the battle, we can lose Jesus. Do whatever it takes to keep a passion for Jesus alive in your life because none of the other stuff really matters. (laughs) Everything else should flow from that place. And that bit's your responsibility. It's not anyone else's responsibility. It's not the circumstances fault. Your passion for Jesus, your love for Jesus is on you. <laughs> Listen to worship music. Get a day where you just get a bit of a retreat or something. Ask people to pray for you. Talk to a friend about it. Grab someone after the meeting this morning and say, look, my passion for Jesus has run dry and I don't want to be in that place anymore. Do something. Pursue Jesus. Thirdly and finally, how to fight the battle well. How to not get shipwrecked. Hold on to a good conscience. Paul encourages Timothy to hold on to faith. That's the kind of belief, theology, doctrine, Jesus bit. And also to hold on to a good conscience. And this is about holiness, about purity, about dealing with sin in our lives. And both things are really important what we believe and how we behave. Later in 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, Paul says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Don't just have a great theology, live in a way that honours God. Live in a a way that recognises that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit bought at a price by Jesus. And two things so often go hand in hand, don't they? Life and doctrine. Take away a a true understanding of who Jesus is and it will lead to sin. Like for Alexander and Hymenaeus. Within Gnosticism, a denial of the physical resurrection of Jesus, which might seem something quite theological and dry, was directly linked to embracing sin and drunkenness and ritual orgies and all this sort of thing because they're connected life and doctrine. But similarly, if we start to sin, and if we're unrepentant in our sin, our conscience starts to get worn down, and it's very easy to start to justify sinful behavior through slightly changing our theology. You know, I, I, I know a couple, and sadly they're their marriage was falling apart and this, this lady had kind of left him for another guy and she was a long-standing, mature Christian woman. And they had children and she knew all the stuff. 
She knew all the stuff about marriage and about it being a covenant for life and about one flesh and a bit about reflecting uh, Jesus and his love for the church. And, and, and I remember talking with her for a long time. And the basic crux of it was she said, well, I believe God wants me to be happy. And I thought, what an oversimplification. How can you say that? How can you throw all this other stuff out of the window? What, what a denial of the call to love your husband. What a denial of the call to love your kids. What a denial of the call to take up your cross and follow Jesus and deal with sin. What a massive oversimplification. But when we start to ignore our conscience and embrace sin, it's very easy for what we believe to begin to change and to dispense of the bits we don't like to justify our sin. So I want to appeal to you today, hold on to a good conscience. Take sin seriously. Repent when you need to repent. Don't take on board a little water and think that you can stay afloat. Keep watch over your life. Be sober-minded. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So how close to the shore are you sailing? How shallow are the waters getting underneath you? Are you in danger of shipwreck? You know, if you want to avoid shipwreck, you don't sail as close to the rocks or as close to the shore as you can possibly get without actually grounding out on them. You stay well away. And our approach to sin in life should not be to get as close as we can to sin without sinning. Well, I'm not gossiping, I'm just a little concerned. Well, I'm not looking at pornography, but I just like watching this TV show that has stuff in it that's probably really unhelpful. Well, I'm not getting bitter and angry. That person is just really difficult. We all know that. We sail as close as we can to shipwreck without getting shipwrecked. The captain of the ship doesn't set out to get shipwrecked, do they? It catches them by surprise. This isn't the approach we need to have. Get as far away as we can. Make holiness and purity the standard rather than not sinning the standard. Take two steps back. Don't have those conversations. Don't watch that TV show. Make a point of loving the difficult person extravagantly. Nobody sets out to get shipwrecked. Nobody says, I'm going to shipwreck my faith today. But it happens suddenly, unexpectedly, usually as a result of sailing in the shallows for far too long. You know, and in his love, God wants to warn some of us this morning and lead us to a place of repentance because you're not shipwrecked yet. You know, you're here and you want to grow in God. So you're not shipwrecked yet. And he's gracious to forgive, but we need to repent. You know, repentance, it sounds like the heavy thing you do when you first become a Christian, but repentance is the pattern of the Christian life. I've recognized something else that isn't really in line with the life Jesus is calling me to. I'm turning away from that. I'm turning towards him. Maybe I need to share it with a friend. Maybe I need to ask them to pray for me, whatever it is. But deal with it today. Better to repent today than regret tomorrow. Better to throw down a few anchors today and stop sailing than get shipwrecked tomorrow. Better to put things on hold and deal with stuff than suffer shipwreck.
talk to someone, pray with someone, confess your sin, repent. We're in a battle. You are in a spiritual battle. Don't be surprised. But it is possible in the midst of all that to fight the battle well and to not only survive but thrive in following Jesus. And the three things I've mentioned today, remember your story. Remember the work that God has done in your life. Remember how far he's brought you. Remember the words and visions and things that have spoken into your life. Remember his acts of provision and breakthrough in your life. Give thanks. Let it give you courage and faith for, to, for today. Hold on to your faith. Declare and take hold of who Jesus is by being in the word of God, by being wholeheartedly invested in church, by growing in love for Jesus. And hold on to your conscience. Deal with sin. Don't sail too close to the shore. Repent, confess, live a holy life that glorifies God. I wonder if, if you're able to do so, could we stand? And I think um, Ryan and the guys are going to come back in a moment. We're going to sing a song, but maybe we could just stand. And if you feel comfortable, just bow your heads in prayer. And just as we respond to this together. Let's just leave a, a moment of stillness now just to acknowledge before God um, kind of where this message lands for us. And maybe one thing, one thing we're going to take away and we're going to apply. You know, we're encouraged to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And, you know, it might be for you that it's as simple as just remembering your story. You've got into a place that's a little bit negative. You've got into that place of spiritual amnesia. And God's saying, remember your story. Remember when I called you. Remember how you know that that's the life I've asked you to live. Remember when I provided for you. Maybe for some of us it's, we need to start reading the word again. Maybe for some of us it's, I've not been all in when it comes to, to church. Maybe for some of us it's, I've just lost that love for Jesus and I'm going to do what it takes to reclaim it. Maybe for some of it, for some of us, we've been sailing pretty close to the shore. And we know there is sin. And we know there is a conscience that's getting bruised. Repent. And don't just repent silently now. I'd encourage you to talk to someone you trust and ask them to pray for you. Let's be accountable to one another in this stuff. Let's just leave a moment of silence to respond in our own way. Yes, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have called us and you have chosen us and you have brought us into this place of amazing blessing. But Jesus, in the now and not yet of your kingdom come, but your kingdom still coming, we do feel sometimes that we're in a battle. We are in a battle. And I just pray you would fill us with your spirit, you would equip us, you would empower us,
to fight the battle well. We don't want to be shipwrecked. We want to be sailing the high seas of faith and adventure and purity and mission for you, Jesus. So help us, give us the courage to not just leave this place unchanged or feeling, yeah, that was a good message, but applying it to our lives in the way you are calling us to right now. Help us to remember the amazing works you've done in our lives and all the things you've done for us and called us to. Help us to hold on to our faith, to be worshipping, Bible-reading, church-committed, Jesus-loving people. And help us to take sin seriously and deal with it in repentance and faith. We ask this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.